name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors, and it's great to have you. Good to see you guys. And man, is this a fun weekend or what? Holy smokes. This is incredible. This is really cool. And there's some people we got to thank and celebrate. So I first just want to say thank you to our student ministry staff, to Reese and Arnold and Robin and Stephanie and uh, Patrick. Man, I mean, you guys worked really hard. Uh, I also want to just give a, a thank you to our production team and our tech team. Way to go, guys. Uh, it's just incredible. Um, I mean, they rehung and reconfigured the whole room, and they'll do it all again next week to go kind of more back to normal. But uh, man, what, just for the, an incredible uh, desire to serve. Hey, let's thank the mentors, the tired people in the room. If you see people in yellow shirts that look like they're going to keel over and die of tiredness, it's the mentors. Um, and I just will tell you, as a, as a dad in this of, of kids in this ministry, whew, you guys mean the world to me. You mean the world to me. Your investment, your love of our kids, what a gift. What more could you want as a parent? And, uh, and then I want to say to you students, I, I love you. We love you. We're so thankful for you. Like, listen, you're not just like a future part of our church. You're our church family now. And we love you and we need you. We need you. We need your gifts. We need your contribution. We need your, what you give. You're part of this family. You're part of this body. So I'm just so thankful uh, for you. And if you've been to uh, part of Fuse before, you know kind of how this Fuse Sunday thing works. So this is technically the last session of Fuse. So what I'm going to do is kind of share from the heart, uh, my heart for you. And I'm really going to be talking to you, uh, the high schoolers, while everyone else just kind of listens in. And so I know, uh, I know it's, been, whew, there's been, it's been a long weekend. Uh, our boy Luke Lau over here has his own pillow. He, uh, he brought his pillow. I told him, I told him if, he, uh, if, he, if, he, if I catch him sleeping, I'll call him out. So I'm calling him out in advance. Um, so I know it's been long. So I'm not going to take a lot of time. We're going to have more time to just sing and celebrate the Lord. Uh, but I want to share with you uh, from the heart. And, and what, what got me thinking about uh, this is I, I, um, some of you know, any of you kind of know who our two Arizona state senators are? Uh, I don't know if you know them. I don't know if you like them. I'm not going to go into that. But uh, one of them is from Tucson. His name's Mark Kelly. Uh, Mark Kelly, and this is a pretty accomplished guy. I mean, anybody who can make it to space as an astronaut, that's really pretty impressive. And so um, he is a new senator uh, from the state of Arizona. And you may not know this, but Mark Kelly is also a twin. He has a twin brother named Scott, who was also an astronaut. And something incredible happened about five years ago when they were 52 years old. So they're identical twins. And at 52 years old, something amazing happened. Scott became two inches taller than Mark. That's a Mark with the mustache on the left. And you can see Scott is just barely a tiny little bit taller. And, uh, and, and do you know why this happened? Well, Scott, uh, rather than just kind of a short trip to space, he spent almost a full year in space. They sent him for 340 days to the International Space Station where he lived up there, I guess to see how far you could push a human being uh, in space and kind of see what that was like. And so one of the things that happened was because of the lack of gravity and the lack of pressure, uh, Mark came back two inches taller. Now, after about a week, it all kind of went away. So he only had a week to you know, bust the chops of his twin brother. Uh, but, but, 
But he, he, he expanded. Now, some of you are like, man, that sounds incredible. How fast can we get to space? Where's Elon Musk? Let's go. Let's do this thing. Uh, but here's the thing is if you're in space without the pressure, what happens also is your muscles get weak, your bones and your joints get weak. You actually need some pressure. No pressure is going to lead to lots of unfortunate health consequences. So you don't need no pressure. But at the same time, if you have too much pressure, that's a problem. Right? About 60 people die every year from what's called free diving. Do you know what free diving is? Free diving is like scuba diving without the scuba. So it's just like no tank, no, no oxygen. You just go down as deep as you can. And so they do all these trainings and all these things to try to breathe. But about 60 people a year die because under the pressure of deep water diving, too much pressure starts to collapse their lungs, mess with their blood, make it where they can't survive. So think about this. Too little pressure, that's not good. Too much pressure, you're going to be crushed. And, and, and the title of today's message is Under Pressure. Because when I was praying about and thinking about you, especially you high schoolers, I was thinking, I think a lot of you feel much more like the free divers than the astronauts. Now, the adults in your life kind of feel like you're an astronaut. They go, oh, there's no pressure. Let me tell you about pressure. Because I, you know, I walked uphill both ways, five miles to school in the snow in Arizona, right? Like, and you're, they're like, they don't think you have any pressure. They don't think you have any real problems. It's like, come on, this generation, get off my lawn. They're just not very tough, right? And that's, that's kind of, right, everyone around you kind of treats you like, come on, get over it. You're an astronaut, no pressure here. But you feel like a free diver. And the, the pressure's real. And, and, and you feel it from your parents and your mentors and your teachers. You feel their expectations. You feel the pressure from your own sense of a desire to succeed or to achieve some stuff. You feel a lot of pressure to try to define who you are. You feel a lot of pressure to try to fit in and to try to belong. Some of you, you feel a pressure not to belong, but to actually stand out and to be different from everybody. You feel this pressure. You, you have questions. Where do I fit? What is my purpose? What direction am I going in my life? What am I going to do? And all of those questions and all of those things are, are pressing you. And so there's no wonder to me that so many of you feel anxious and you feel depressed and you feel stuck because you're under pressure. But what I want to tell you today is that Jesus, and I think only Jesus, is the one who can help you figure out these questions in a way that will not crush you, but will actually free you. And so the big question that a lot of you are asking is this question, who am I? Who am I? It's an identity question. Who am I? And as adults in your life uh, try to kind of get you to think about this question, they'll, they'll even say things like, well, just be yourself. And you're going, well, who, I don't even know who that is. I don't know how to be myself. I'm trying to just figure out who I am. And what I want to tell you today is that Jesus provides the answer to this question of identity. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, we'll look a little bit at some passages from the Gospel of John, but let's pray uh, together. Father, I thank you for these students, and I thank you, God, for all the fun that we've had this week, all the conversations, all the reflection, all the laughs, all the jokes. And God, in this moment, uh, we're just aware 
as we stop that there's a lot of pressure we feel. Some of it comes from outside of us. Some of it comes from inside of us. But God, I pray that as we reflect on this, that you would give us the freedom that can only come in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. This is a big question. Who am I? What's my identity? And, and the interesting thing about this is this is a question that actually you used to have no say in the matter over. Like, like hundreds of years ago, nobody asked you, who are you really? They just, you just got an identity handed down to you, right? This is like why a lot of us have the last names that we do. I was actually doing some research about last names. You know, last names typically come from one of three places. They either come from a job that you had or a um, kind of name of a, of a kind of someone you descended from or a description of your character or your uh, bodily attributes or whatever. So I just looked up some lists of this. Do we have any Smiths in the room? Any Smiths in the room? We got some Smiths, all right. Smith is actually, did you know, the most common name, last name in the state of Arizona? Smith. So we shouldn't be keeping up with the Joneses. We should be keeping up with the Smiths. Um, so the Smiths, that means a maker of, of metals, right? Blacksmith, uh, that sort of a thing, right? Another name that I know we have in our church is Fletcher. Are the Fletchers here today? Where are the Fletchers? Are they around? I don't know. I guess they... Sorry, Fletchers. Well, your name means uh, arrow maker. That's a kind of a cool name. Uh, we have some Millers in our church. That name means grain grinder. So this is a last name. This is an identity in a sense that just gets handed down to you. It just gets passed on. Um, a, a lot of names come from kind of more of a descendant type thing. So Johnson, are there any Johnsons? That's the second most common name in Arizona. Johnson, son of John. You guessed it. A lot of, uh, a lot of Latino names, uh, Spanish names actually are like this. So Perez is son of Pedro, Martinez, son of Martin, Garcia, son of Garcia is what that means. Um, I talked earlier about Luke Lau. Lau, I don't, know, I don't know if you know this, Luke, but your name is passed down from, a, there was a Han emperor that your name passed. So you're royalty, man. Way to go. That's incredible. There's, a, there's descriptive names. So uh, Brown is my mother's maiden name. Oh, which means you now have access to all of my passwords. Uh, just kidding. I don't, I'm too smart for that. Uh, but that is my mother's maiden name is Brown. I assume that somewhere uh, down the line there was uh, someone with more Brown characteristics. Uh, Pat Buck is our uh, fifth grade teacher and our uh, pastoral resident for students. You know what Buck means? The last name Buck means strong and sturdy. If you've seen Pat's mustache, you know that that's why he feels that level of confidence to be strong and sturdy. And uh, Seth Trout, who's one of our teaching pastors, he's at Redemption Gilbert today, but his last name means true true, trout, true. Yeah, that, sounds, that sounds like him. So I had to look up my, myself, right? So I'm Luke Simmons. What does Simmons mean? Well, here's what I found. I actually found a number of descriptions. Uh, the first one of Simmons is son of Simon. Boring. Is that what you guessed? Way to go, Brandon. Son of Simon. We're not going to use that one. The one we're going to use, uh, the one we're going to use is victorious protector. Victorious protector, right? Where are my freshman girls that stayed at our house this week? All right, yeah, there they are. You guys got to experience Hank, the four-year-old victorious protector, right? But here's the third option for my name is a snub nose. Like, that's kind of mean. Like, hey, snubby. Like, why would you name someone that? I don't know. So we'll go with victorious protector. So, but, 
But whatever it is, whether it's from a job or whether it's from a physical characteristic or whether it's from some sort of family tradition, identity, here's the thing, who you are used to just be inherited. You didn't think about it. You didn't wrestle with it. But now you don't feel the freedom. I mean, I'm not saying that it was better back then. I'm just saying, but now you feel the pressure to construct an identity. You don't just inherit it. You got to build it. You got to make a name for yourself. You ever hear that phrase? And some of you feel pressure because you've got to make a name for yourself. Who am I? What am I really about? What's really driving me? What's my identity? And so as you work to construct an identity, you often tend to go in a few different places. Some of you uh, go into an identity where you have to perform. You, you kind of say, I am what other people expect of me. And so you're just trying to conform to whatever people expect. You say, here's who I have to be. This is what they want. This is what they're saying. I've got to play the part. And if that's you, what you feel like a lot of times is you feel like you have to perform. I got I to gotta play the part. I got to look good. I got to do the role. And listen, that can be fun for a minute. But then it's crushing. It's pressure. Right? People like to joke with me uh, as a pastor that, you know, must be nice to only work one day a week. And uh, I mean, it is. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I work, I work a full week. Um, but one of the things I always think about when people ask me that is I'll, I'll sometimes say to them, yeah, well, imagine if like the, the thing you did was every week you had an oral exam and people were bringing friends to watch. Like that's pressure, right? Like, and so I get this idea. If you have to be performing, if you have to be on, like a lot of what I love about our small group that Molly and I are in is we're not Pastor Luke in that environment. I'm just Luke. I don't have to perform. And I know that that's an exhausting thing if you're feeling like I have to be what other people expect. Some of you, your identity doesn't come from something like that. It comes from something like this. I'm not blank enough. Not smart enough. Not pretty enough. Not strong enough. Not good enough. I'm not enough. And so you've constructed a whole identity around kind of negative messages, reminding yourself of all the things you aren't. And the reality is, the reason that resonates is because it's kind of true depending on what it is. Because none of us are ever quite smart. There's always someone smarter. There's always someone prettier. There's always someone stronger. There's always someone fitter. Remember years ago, I got invited. This was kind of a crazy thing. I had a, a friend that was playing baseball for the San Diego Padres. And uh, they had like an end of the year team banquet. Team party, right? Like you have a Peter Piper, right? And he's like, hey, why don't you, you and Molly, we were in town, we were in San Diego. He's like, why don't you guys come to our team party? And I'm like, okay. And so they're giving out like awards and like, you know, the most valuable player gets a Rolex, right? It's like that kind of party. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? But we're at this like compound where one of the owners of the San Diego Padres, right? The guy who's paying all these millionaires their millions. We're at his house and I'm standing there and I'm walking by and I, and I overhear a guy who was a more than 10 year all-star made hundreds of millions of dollars in his career. And someone else says to him, hey, Mike, maybe someday you could have a place like this. And he said, I don't think I ever could. And I just overheard that conversation. And I went, there's always somebody that has more. 
And so listen, if you build your identity on that, there's going to be some truth to it, and yet that's going to just crush you in the ground. Some of you, your identity is about your image. I got to look a certain way. I got to kind of manage my reputation, and I need people to approve of me, and I need to kind of brand myself a certain way. And some of you, you form your identity, who you are, by what you're not. You're, you're unique. And I always like to say, yeah, you are unique, just like everybody else, right? And isn't it funny how all the people that try to be really unique all are really unique together in the exact same way? Because we're not all that unique. And yet we go, well, I, gotta, I wanna resist stereotypes. Okay, people say Gen Z is like this, I'm gonna be like that. People say young people these days are gonna be like this, I'm like that. Everyone here, they're all just sheep, I'm gonna be a wolf. Well, don't be a wolf, okay, but you get the idea. Right? And so whatever it is, get this, all of these identities, whatever kind of lane you pick, it's pressure because you got to construct it and you got to maintain it and you got to build it. And maybe you kind of pick a lane you don't like and now you got to pick a new one. And you're wrestling, who am I? And what I want to tell you today is that Jesus Christ came to give you an identity that you don't have to work for. Right, the good news of the gospel is that you can have an identity that's not achieved, but it's received from Jesus. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at a couple of passages that come from the gospel of John. We've been studying the gospel of John. Uh, these are passages we'll look at more in depth in uh, coming months. Uh, but, but I want to look at a couple passages where Jesus says, listen, if you follow me, if you're one of my people, if you're one of my disciples, here's who you are. Listen, friends, you don't have to inherit an identity from a family line. And you don't have to achieve an identity for yourself. You can receive an identity from Jesus, right? So who are we if we follow Jesus, if we trust Jesus, if we walk with Jesus, if we say, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin. Jesus, I want to be connected to you. Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow after you. Who are you then? Well, here's who you are. First, you're a child of the Father. You're a child of the Father, Look at what it says in John chapter 14, verses 18 to 21. Jesus is preparing to go to the cross and to die and to rise and to ascend to his father. But here's what he says. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. Many of us live like orphans. Now, some of you have actually experienced, both students and adults, some of you experience, have experienced being orphaned. Others of you, 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 you weren't an orphan, but you kind of felt like it as your parents, kind of focused on other stuff, did other things. It's interesting, one of my favorite plays uh, right now, maybe there's some fans of this in the house uh, sitting in a few of these places. Anyone like the play Hamilton? Yeah. yeah. Those of you booing don't know about it, okay? So... <laughs> So Hamilton, here's one of the big storylines, is Hamilton was orphaned, and so he can never slow down, and he can never stop, and he always has to go, 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 go. He has to build something for himself, because he has to achieve an identity, because he was an orphan. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You don't have to win some race. Here's what he says. He says, I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me, this is so key, he who loves me will be loved 
by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Listen, if you trust in Jesus, you are a child of the Father. And this is not a heavenly Father who's just sort of cheering you when you win the trophy. This is not the heavenly Father who at your worst moment is ready to kind of say, see, I told you so. This is a heavenly Father who loves you so much that he gave his only son to win you back so that he would not leave you as an orphan, so that you wouldn't have to have this pressure to build something of yourself, but that he would bless you, that he would welcome you, that he would say, I I love you. This is God's heart for you if you're his child. He's saying, listen, there's nothing you could do that would make me love you more. Nothing you could do that would make me love you less. I love you. Oh, what an identity. What rest. What freedom. Here's the second identity that we have in Christ, is that you are the friend of the Son. You're the friend of the Son. Not just the child of the Father, but the friend of the Son. Here's what Jesus says in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Think about this for a moment. When Jesus dies on the cross, he's not going, oh gosh, these losers, can't believe i got to die for these losers. He's saying, I'm laying my life down for my friends. Some of you this week have experienced in a powerful way the power of friendship, the power of connection, the power of people who have your back. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, I want to be your friend. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying, I want to call you friend. I got your back. I'm there for you. I'm not going to bug out on you. If everyone else is against you, Jesus is saying, I, I got you. You're a friend of the Son. What an identity. To be a friend of Jesus Christ, to be a friend of the Son of God, to not have anything to prove and nothing to impress, but just to be his friend. So if you trust in Jesus, you have an identity as a child of the Father, as a friend of the Son, and then third, here's the thing, you are the home of the Holy Spirit. The home of the Holy Spirit. This is not just God is sort of out there somewhere and Jesus, well, you know, he came, but he's gone now. And where's God? This is now, Jesus is going to say, if you trust in him, if you follow him, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Look at what he says in John 14. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, Jesus says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Think about this, friends. God loves us so much that despite the fact that we have rebelled against him and sinned against him and built our lives on a million other things than him, despite that fact, God is saying, I want to be with you and in you. And so Jesus is going, you're going to be the home of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's the temple. You know, you know, that's why there's no need for a temple anymore. 
right? The, the temple was the one place, think about this, in the Old Testament story, the temple was the one place where heaven met earth. So that's why it was so sacred and that's why it was so valuable and that's why it was so precious. And here's what Jesus is saying, is that if you're his child, you're the new temple. Now, this does not mean like, so you better do push-ups and eat broccoli, right? That's a, not a terrible idea, I guess, but, but that's not the point. The point is this, you are the place where heaven meets earth. You are the place where God dwells with his people. This is who you can be. And you don't need to earn it and you don't need to jump through hoops. You just trust him. So, so here's what I want to just encourage you with today as we close this Fuse weekend is listen, if you try to achieve an identity, it will crush you. Right, some of you, that's the process you're in. Who am I gonna be? What's my future going to be? What's my sexuality going to be? How am I going to be known? Right, and you're, and, you're, and you're in this thing. Some of you are in this place of just kind of constant, what we would call navel gazing. And you're on some journey to find yourself. And listen, I get that pressure. I get it. Because I grew up in a time when you didn't inherit an identity either. You had to go find yourself. And here's what I'm going to tell you. That pressure will crush you. And, and once you find it, you think, oh, once I find it, then I won't have the pressure anymore. No, then you got the pressure to keep it. Jesus is coming saying, I, I, I want to give you freedom. I want to give you rest. I want to give you joy. It comes from him. Listen, uh, the band's going to come in just a moment. Reese is going to come. He's going to lead us into communion. And then we're going to sing. And we're going to sing for a long time here because uh, these songs are great. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And here's, here's one of the reasons we sing. We sing to remind each other of who we are and whose we are. So this is not just going through the motion because, man, it's cool to sing and boy, the band is great. They are. But, but this is a reminder. Here's who we are. Here's the identity we have that we don't have to earn, that we don't have to achieve. We just get it because of God's love for us. So let me pray, and uh, Reese will lead us. Father, thank you for these students. Thank you for uh, the ways that you're working in their lives. Thank you for the students that are trusting you. Uh, God, thank you for the students that have questions. Thank you for the students that have doubts. Uh, thank you even for the students that have skepticism. God, I appreciate where, when people can be honest about those things. God, it breaks my heart to think of the pressure that so many people in this room, so many of us feel. And God, you want to come and give us rest. Jesus, you said that your yoke is easy. Your burden is like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and under pressure, and I will give you rest. God, could we rest in you could you be enough? Could we realize that if we have you, we have everything we need? And would that give us freedom and joy and peace? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.